0: Chapter 9 of From the Deep Woods to Civilization by Charles A Eastman. Ohio, this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9 Civilization as Preached and Practiced. After thirty years of exile from the land of my nativity and the home of my ancestors, I came back to Minnesota in eighteen ninety three. My mother was born on the shores of Lake Harriet my great-grandfather's village is now a part of the beautiful park system of the city of minneapolis i came to st paul with very little money for one cannot save much out of one hundred dollars a month and we had been compelled to sacrifice nearly all that we had spent on our little home it was midwinter and our baby daughter was only eight months old but our courage was good nevertheless i had to wait for the regular state medical examination before being admitted to practice As Minnesota was one of the first states to pass such a law and the examinations were searching and covered three days time if I remember rightly there were some forty-five applicants who took them with me and I was told that nearly half of them failed to pass it was especially hard on country practitioners who had practiced successfully for many years but were weak in theory of medicine along certain lines Although a young couple in a strange city, we were cordially received socially, and while seriously handicapped by lack of means, we had determined to win out. I opened an office, hung out my sign, and waited for patience. It was the hardest work I had ever done. Most of the time we were forced aboard for the sake of economy, and were hard put to it to meet office rent and our modest living expenses. At this period I was peculiarly tried with various temptations, by yielding to which it seemed that I could easily relieve myself from financial strain. I was persistently solicited for illegal practice, and this by persons who were not only intelligent, but apparently of good social standing. In their fear of exposure they were ready to go to large expense, and were astonished when I refused to consider anything of the sort. A large number came to me for Indian medicine and treatment. I told them, of course, that I had no such medicine. Again, one of the best-known doctors of this class in the Northwest invited me to go into partnership with him. Finally, a prominent businessman of St. Paul offered to back me up financially if I would put up an Indian medicine under my own name, assuring me that there was a fortune in it. To be sure, I had been bitterly disappointed in the character of the United States Army and the honor of government officials. Still, I had seen the better side of civilization, and I determined that the good men and women who had helped me should not be betrayed. The Christ ideal might be radical, visionary, even impractical, as judged in the light of my later experiences. It still seemed to me logical, and in line with most of my Indian training. My heart was still strong, and I had the continual inspiration of a brave comrade at my side. With all the rest I was deeply regretful of the work that I had left behind. I could not help thinking that if the President knew, if the good people of this country knew, of the wrong, it would yet be righted. I had not half of the savagery of civilization. While I had plenty of leisure, I began to put upon paper some of my earliest recollections, with the thought that our children might some day like to read of that wilderness life. When my wife discovered what I had written, she insisted upon sending it to St. Nicholas. Much to my surprise, the sketches were immediately accepted, and appeared during the following year. This was the beginning of my first book, Indian Boyhood, which was not completed until several years later. We were slowly gaining ground, when one day a stranger caught on me in my office. He was, I learned, one of the field secretaries of the International Committee of YMCA, and had apparently called to discuss the feasibility of extending this movement among the Indians. After we had talked for some time, he broached the plan of putting a man into the Indian field, and ended by urging me to consider taking up the work. My first thought was that it was out of the question to sacrifice my profession and practice at this juncture, when I was just getting a promising start. Then, too, I doubted my fitness for religious work. He still pressed me to accept, pointing out the far-reaching importance of this new step, and declared that they had not been able to hear of anyone else of my race so well-fitted to undertake it. We took the matter under consideration, and with some reluctance I agreed to organize the field if they would meantime educate a young Indian, whom I would name to be my successor. I had in mind the thought that, when the man I had chosen should be graduated from the International Training School at Springfield, Massachusetts, I could again return to my practice. I selected Arthur Tibbetts. A Sioux, who was duly graduated in three years, when I resigned in his favor. I had been unable to keep an office in St. Paul, where we had made our home, but I carried my small medical case with me on all my trips and was often appealed to by the Indians for my professional help. I traveled over a large part of the western states and in Canada, visiting the mission stations among Indians of all tribes and organizing young men's associations wherever conditions permitted i think i organized some 43 associations this gave me a fine opportunity to study protestant missionary effort among indians i seriously considered the racial attitude toward god and almost unconsciously reopened the book of my early religious training asking myself how it was that our simple lives were so imbued with the spirit of worship while much church-going among white and nominally christian indians led often to such very small results a new point of view came to me then and there this latter was a machine-made religion it was supported by money and more money could only be asked for on the showing made therefore too many of the workers were after quantity rather than quality of religious experience I was constantly meeting with groups of young men of the Sioux, Cheyennes, Crees, Ojibways, and others, in log cabins or little framed chapels, and trying to set before them, in simple language, the life and character of the man Jesus. I was cordially received everywhere, and always listened to with closest attention. Curiously enough, even among these men who were seeking light on the white man's ideals, The racial philosophy emerged from time to time i remember one old battle-scarred warrior who sat among the young men got up and said in substance why we have followed this law you speak of for untold ages we owned nothing because everything is from him food was free land free as sunshine and rain who has changed all this the white man and yet he says he is a believer in god HE DOES NOT SEEM TO INHERIT ANY OF THE TRAITS OF HIS FATHER, NOR DOES HE FOLLOW THE EXAMPLE SET BY HIS BROTHER CHRIST. ANOTHER OF THE OLDER MEN HAD ATTENTIVELY FOLLOWED OUR BIBLE STUDY, AND ATTENDED EVERY MEETING FOR A WHOLE WEEK. I FINALLY CALLED UPON HIM FOR HIS VIEWS. AFTER A LONG SILENCE, HE SAID, I HAVE COME TO THE CONCLUSION THAT THIS JESUS WAS AN INDIAN he was opposed to material acquirement and to great possessions he was inclined to peace he was as unpractical as any indian and set no price upon his labor of love these are not the principles upon which the white man has founded his civilization it is strange that he could not rise to these simple principles which were commonly observed among our people These words put the spell of an uncomfortable silence upon our company, but it did not appear that the old man had intended any sarcasm or unkindness, for after a minute he added that he was glad we had selected such an unusual character for our model. At the Crow Agency I met a Scotchman, a missionary of fine type, who was doing good work. This man told me a strange story of his conversion. As a young man, he had traveled extensively in this and other countries. He spent one winter at Manitoba, near an Indian reservation, and there he met a young Indian who had been converted by one of his own tribesmen, and was intensely interested in the life of Christ. This young man was a constant reader in the Indian Bible, and he talked of Christ so eloquently and so movingly as to cause serious thought on the part of the traveler to make a long story short he finally went home to scotland and studied for the ministry and then returned to america to enter the field of indian missions it happened that the young indian who made so deep an impression on his white friend was my own uncle who had been baptized joseph eastman my two uncles who were in the custer fight lived in canada from the time of our flight in eighteen sixty two and both died there I was happy to be sent to that part of the country in time to see the elder one alive. He had been a father to me, up to the age of fifteen, and I had not seen him for over twenty years. I found him a farmer, living in a Christian community. I had sent word in advance of my coming, and my uncle's family had made of it a great occasion. All of my old playmates were there. My uncle was so happy that tears welled up in his eyes. When we are old, he smiled. Our hearts are not strong in moments like this. The great spirit has been kind to let me see my boy again before I die. The early days were recalled as we feasted together, and all agreed that the chances were I should have been killed before reaching the age of twenty, if I had remained among them. For, said they, I was very anxious to emulate my uncle, who had been a warrior of great reputation, afterward i visited the grave of my grandmother whose devotion had meant so much to me as a motherless child this was one of the great moments of my life throughout this period of my work i was happy being unhampered by official red tape in the effort to improve conditions among my people the superintendent of indian affairs in manitoba was very kind and gave me every facility to go among the indians he asked me to make a comparative report on the conditions on both sides of the border but this i declined to undertake unwilling to prejudice the government officials under whom i must carry on my work in the united states another trip took me among the ojibways who used to take many a sioux scalp while we prized an eagle feather earned in battle with them but those who had actually engaged in warlike exploits were now old and much inclined toward a peaceful life. I met some very able native preachers among them. I also visited, for the first time, the five civilized tribes of the Indian Territory, now the state of Oklahoma. As is well known, these people intermarried largely among the whites and had their own governments, schools, and thriving towns when I appeared at Taliqua, the Cherokee capital, the Senate took a recess in honor of their Sioux visitor. At Bacon College, I addressed the students, and at the Cherokee male and female seminaries. It was an odd coincidence that, at the latter school, I found one of the young ladies in the act of reading an essay on my wife, Elaine Goodell Eastman. Among other duties of my position, I was expected to make occasional speaking trips through the East to arouse interest in the work, and it thus happened that I addressed large audiences in Chicago, New York, Boston, and at Lake Mohawk. I was taken by slum and settlement workers to visit the slums and dives of the cities, which gave another shock to my ideals of Christian civilization. Of course i had seen something of the poorer parts of boston during my medical course but not at night and not in a way to realize the horror and wretchedness of it as i did now to be sure i had been taught even as a child that there are always some evil-minded men in every nation and we knew well what it is to endure physical hardship but our poor lost nothing of their self-respect and dignity Our great men not only divided their last kettle of food with a neighbor, but if great grief should come to them, such as the death of a child or wife, they would voluntarily give away their few possessions and begin life over again in token of their sorrow. We could not conceive of the extremes of luxury and misery existing thus side by side, for it was common observation with us that the coarse weeds, if permitted to grow, will choke out the more delicate flowers these things troubled me very much yet i still held before my race the highest and as yet unattained ideals of the white man one of the strongest rebukes i ever received from an indian for my acceptance of these ideals and philosophy was administered by an old chief of the Sac and fox tribe in iowa i was invited to visit them by the churches of toledo and Tama city which were much concerned by the absolute refusal of this small tribe to accept civilization and christianity i surmised that these good people hoped to use me as an example of the benefits of education for the indian i was kindly received at their village and made as i thought a pretty good speech emphasizing the necessity of educating their children and urging their acceptance of the christian religion the old chief rose to answer he was glad that i had come to visit them he was also glad that i was apparently satisfied with the white man's religion and his civilization as for them he said neither of these had seemed good to them the white man had showed neither respect for nature nor reverence toward god but he thought tried to buy god with the by-products of nature he tried to buy his way into heaven but he did not even know where heaven is as for us, he concluded, we shall still follow the old trail. If you should live long, and some day the great spirit shall permit you to visit us again, you will find us still Indians, eating with wooden spoons out of bowls of wood. I have done. I was even more impressed a few minutes later, when one of his people handed me my pocket-book containing my railway tickets and a considerable sum of money. I had not even missed it. I said to the state missionary who was at my side better let these indians alone if i had lost my money in the streets of your christian city i should probably have never seen it again my effort was to make the indian feel that christianity is not at fault for the white man's sins but rather the lack of it and i freely admitted that this nation is not christian but declared that the christians in it are trying to make it so I found the facts and the logic of them often hard to dispute, but was partly consoled by the wonderful opportunity to come into close contact with the racial mind, and to refresh my understanding of the philosophy in which I had been trained, but which had been overlaid and superseded by a college education. I do not know how much good I accomplished, but I did my best. End of chapter 9